of the message today is clean hands or clean hearts. Clean hands or clean hearts. As we continue to look into the life of Christ in the Gospel of Mark, uh, this next section reveals again um, that Jesus was often coming across people that did not necessarily like him. They didn't like the message that he preached. They didn't like uh, the life that he lived. And we have seen this before, and certainly we will see this again. Uh, But in this specific scenario, we find that Jesus was again being attacked not so much for what he was doing, uh, but because of what his disciples were doing. Uh, The scribes and the Pharisees uh, were not always friendly with each other, uh, but when it came time to attack Christ, they were happy to to join forces and buddy up and go at it together. Their accusation was one that caused a stir uh, among the people. But as always, Christ was able to turn these conversations around and show not that he was living in error, but the ones that were making the accusations were in reality living in error. Christ didn't always answer his critics in the way that they wanted to be answered, but when he spoke to them, he he was able to show them from the depths of his wisdom, from him being God in the flesh, that they were the ones who were living a, a false Christian life versus Christ and his disciples. So as we go through this account today, we're going to see that this this takes place again. Last time we saw these two groups coming to Jesus, they were upset about the Sabbath. We saw them uh, being upset that Jesus sat down and ate with publicans and sinners. And in every one of those scenarios, Christ pointed back to the reality that he had not come to destroy the law, but he'd come to fulfill the law. He had not come to, to heal those who were already healed, but what did he do? He came as a doctor to those who were sick and in need of the gospel. And in this scenario, again, we see that Christ masterfully takes the accusation that is put against him and he spins it around to reveal the depths of the wickedness within the hearts of those who were making the accusation. In passages like this, we oftentimes want to see ourselves as the good guy, right? We're the ones who who, uh, would have been accused of doing wrong. But friends, when we approach scriptures like this that have a heavy emphasis on a religious mentality, it's so important that we look into our own hearts and say, God, is there any of this religious spirit within me? Is there any part of me that's looking down on other people and what they are doing and and putting myself on a pedestal almost thinking that I'm better than they are? Or do do I recognize my own sinfulness? And so we're certainly not Christ in this story, amen? We haven't arrived yet. And I would say in the beginning of the story, we may not even be the disciples at times. But maybe, just maybe, there's a portion of our lives where we're acting like the scribes and the Pharisees picking apart everybody else's lives while while not actually living in accordance to God's word in our own lives. And if you're here today and you say, well, that's certainly not me. And friend, I pray that you would pause and pray and ask God to point out in your life where maybe you have gone wrong in this area. The big idea this morning, the thing that we're trying to, to emphasize or capture is simply this. Clean hands will never purify an unrighteous heart, but a purified heart will clean up dirty hands. Are you thankful for the work of the gospel in your life? That you didn't have to work your way to God and say, as long as I can make myself look good or appear religious in the eyes of others, then God is going to receive me. But we know the truth of the gospel, that we were wicked and dirty and vile sinners, and God stepped in. And he didn't start with the outside in the purification process, but he changed our hearts. And then as we go through life, as we go through the sanctification process, what does God do? 
He makes what's on the inside come to the outside. That what he has done in us becomes a reality in the way that we live our lives. And so I'd ask us again this morning, are we more focused today on clean hands? Or are we more focused on having clean hearts? We sing this song often, but let this be our prayer as we approach the word of God today. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. I want to see three things this morning out of this text that hopefully will be a help to us as we consider our hearts and our hands And as we consider the question, what are we more focused on, clean hands or a clean heart? The first thing is a railing question. In verses 1 through 5, the text again says this, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders." And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? A railing question. Then came unto him. Have you ever been in a position in life where you saw somebody coming and you said in your mind or in your heart or maybe even verbally at times, oh no, here they come again. I I have had it, certainly not at this church, but other places I've been, I've had it where a, 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 a name will pop up on my phone and I think to myself, oh no. What now? What is it that's the problem? What is it that they're going to criticize or or try to change or or rip apart? And in some ways, I kind of think that's what Jesus might have been doing as this uh, scenario unfolded, as the the disciples and Jesus were were walking about as they were teaching. um, We see that, that the scribes and the Pharisees make their way to Jesus. And I picture in my mind Jesus saying something to the effect of, here we go again. He knew when they came to him that they were not pleasant to deal with. He knew that every time they came to him, it was always with an accusation of what he was doing wrong. We knew, he knew that when they came to him, it was always with a, a, an idea that they knew how to do the Christian life better than the Son of God did. And so as they came to Jesus in this time, maybe something like that was going through, the, through Christ's mind. But as the story unfolds, we see that they come and they begin to accuse Now, Mark does a great job here of unfolding for us why they were coming. And as the the, the disciples were being viewed by the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees saw something that they didn't like. The disciples were going about and they were eating with unwashed hands. Now, if the disciples or if the, the scribes and the Pharisees were viewing my life, they probably have a lot to say because there's oftentimes, maybe this is going to gross you out, but I don't eat with washed hands. Anybody else ever just pick up a candy bar, maybe some peanuts, and you don't even think about what you've touched throughout the day. And according to the scribes and the Pharisees, because we did not go through the ceremonial cleansing process, we would have been labeled unclean. 
And as unclean, we would have been unfit, unfit for temple worship, unfit for God to work in our lives, unfit to be classified even as the people of God. And so when the scribes and the Pharisees saw the disciples walking around and eating with unwashed hands, they were disgusted. How can these people call themselves godly people when they're not even doing the most simple of tasks? How can these people walk about professing that they have a relationship with our God who is holy and righteous and, and yet they're living such, such ugly and sinful and, and detestable lives as they eat their food with unwashed hands? Do you get the scene? Do you get the ri- ridiculousness of the nature? Now, as the scribes and Pharisees made this accusation, they had in their mind, some grounds for for saying what they said. There are passages in the Old Testament, in Exodus, (coughs) excuse me, that talk about before the priests would go into the temple, what would they have to do? They would have to wash in a ceremonial way to make sure they were purified before God. But do you understand today that that never translated to the people living in their daily lives? Never does God tell people they have to, to wash their hands to become holy in his presence or holy in his sight. But this tradition that was passed down from generation to generation, from family to family, from person to person, was being held at this point at the same level as the word of God. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw this, they were full of disgust because they were not walking in the tradition of men. Do you understand today that if the scribes and the Pharisees were here they wouldn't just pick us apart because of our unwashed hands. They would pick us apart for many things because we're not walking according to the oral tradition or the customary tradition of the day. And so they're, they're ticked off at what they see. They're disgusted with what they see. And they come to Jesus and they begin to make this accusation. How can your disciples walk in this way? And while it was an accusation against the disciples, who is it mostly an accusation against? the very Son of God. As they were picking apart what the disciples were doing, they were in reality saying, how dare you call yourself a teacher of God when you're not even calling them to participate or walk in the truths that have been delivered from generation to generation to the generation that we are currently in. And so it was an accusation against the disciples, and the disciples oftentimes got Jesus in trouble, but it was really an accusation against Christ. If you remember back when the disciples were walking along the road and they were plucking the, the wheat from the stalks and, and they were you know, threshing it in their hands and then they were throwing it in their mouths, the Pharisees had a problem with that because they were working on the Sabbath. And what did Jesus tell them in that moment? You've missed the point of the Sabbath altogether. And what is Jesus going to tell them in this moment? That you've missed the point of what the idea of cleansing really means that we're not cleansed spiritually through physical actions, and we're not even defiled, Jesus is going to say, through physical actions, but we're defiled because of what is inside of us as humans, because we have sinful hearts that desire sinful things. And certainly sometimes we do those sinful things, but the seed of sin is not from without. The seed of of sin is from within. And so they come with this railing accusation saying that these men cannot be justified before God because of the physical actions that they are doing. And Jesus is going to refute their their accusation, and he's going to point them in a direction that they don't like to go. 
church, as a church, we have to be careful that we never elevate the tradition of men over the word of God. There are so many churches in our world today that are stuck on the traditions of men. They're stuck on doing things in a certain way that they've always done them. They're stuck on singing certain types of songs because that's what their grandfather sang and their great-grandfather sang. Friends, whenever we look to those traditions to be the basis of our relationship with God, then we have missed the point of the gospel. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved because of what Jesus has done and dying on the cross for our sins. And I'm not saying it's wrong to, to have traditions. We have traditions. But any time we elevate those traditions to the point of Scripture or think that if we don't do those traditions, then God is going to kick us out of the family, then we have missed the point of the gospel. You see, holding traditions allows for men and women to say, look at what I have done, instead of saying, look at what God has done. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 3. In verse 27 through 31, he says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by the law of works, nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. And as Paul was writing to the church of Rome, there was this great debate over how people were saved. And friend, can I tell you today, from the Old Testament to the New Testament and to the day and age that we live in, people have always been saved through faith. What does it say about Abraham all the way back in Genesis? That he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He believed, he had faith. And God credited him that righteousness that was not his own. But ultimately, it was the righteousness of Christ that was accredited to Abraham so that he could be a friend of God and a child of God. So the Pharisees and the scribes come with this railing accusation. How dare your disciples eat with unwashed hands? And Mark tells us that there were many other things that they held at this level. They held at this level of being cleansed by doing or not doing certain things. And Jesus came to refute that way and to show that there was indeed a better way. Are you thankful today that your cleansing is not dependent upon what you are able to do or what you're able to keep yourself from doing? But your cleansing is found in Christ and Christ alone. And what a gift that is. So the first thing we see is a railing accusation. The second thing we see is a righteous response. In verses 6 through 13, the passage continues, and Jesus says, He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah the prophet, uh, well hath Isaiah prophesied of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoso curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man say to, shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his mother or his father, making the word of God of none effect 
through your tradition which you have delivered in many such things uh, like things you do. We see the railing accusation and secondly, we see the righteous response. Did you notice that as, as Christ was accused of allowing his disciples to do certain things that these scribes and Pharisees didn't think they should be doing or should be doing, Jesus, as he responds to them, he doesn't even touch on the topic at hand. He doesn't begin with saying, well, let's talk about clean hands. Let's talk about ceremonial washing. What does he do? He instead runs right to the prophets and he looks them in the eye and he says, do you not remember what God said about you in Isaiah the prophet? And what did he say? Well, as Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Could there be anything worse that could be said about a Christian? I don't think there could be. That you're living in hypocrisy. That with your lips, you make it appear that you're doing all the right things. You're saying all the right words. You're you're going all the right places. You're making everybody think that your heart is righteous and right before God. And yet your heart in this very moment is far from God. I heard a story last night of a pastor that I know who, who, who was a faithful preacher for what appeared to be many years. And do you know the reality was for several years, he honored God with his lips, but his heart was far from God. And now a marriage is on the brink of being destroyed and a church was without a pastor because this pastor could make it look good from the outside, but his heart was far from God. Friends, Jesus, as he's, as he's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees here, our, our proneness, our proclivity in situations like this is just to think very poorly about the scribes and the Pharisees. But do you understand today that the message of Christ to the scribes and the Pharisees fits many people who claim to be Christians in our day and age as well? That we honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. We put on the show of showing up at church on a summer Sunday when everybody else is gone, but our hearts are far from Him. We can say all the right words. We, we use the terms brother and sister and God is so gracious and God is so kind and all the while our hearts are far from him. We, we know the, the right songs to sing and we can even quote verses from the word of God. And yet if God was to examine our hearts, he would say the very same thing that was said in Isaiah and he would say the very same thing that said to the scribes and Pharisees, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Jesus goes on to rip apart the lifestyle that the scribes and Pharisees were living. He says, you, you teach the doctrines of, 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 you lay aside the doctrines of God and you teach as, as true doctrine the commandments of men. You forsake what God has given you and you hold to that which has been passed down from your fathers and their fathers and the religious people who went before you. You reject the commandment of God and you keep your own tradition. What a sad reality this was. And understand this, as Jesus preached this harsh message to these religious people, as far as we know, they walked away unchanged because they wanted to continue in their own way. They wanted to continue in their path of righteousness and not the path that God desired for them to be on. 
They wanted to walk in what they thought was right, what they thought was good, and they wanted to reject the very things that God was giving them. He says, you hold as a commandment the tradition of men, and you forsake the very things that God has spoken. And so Jesus, as the scribes and Pharisees came kind of in a vicious way, Jesus responds with what some would say was a vicious response. He didn't just take it on the chin and say, okay, fellows, go wash your hands so we can appease these people. But rather, he defends what his disciples were doing. Why? Because they weren't doing anything wrong to begin with. And he calls out the religious crowd for what they were doing because their hearts were far from God. And then he goes on and gives an example. He says in verse number 10, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. Whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. They knew this commandment. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 11, But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. Now, has anybody here ever said to their mom or dad, Corban? Probably not, right? This doesn't translate well in our minds. We, we don't really understand what he's talking about. But from what I have read and understand, basically, it would be a child who was looking at his parents in a time of need, and he could see that, that he should have been helping them or that she should have been helping them, that he could have come to their aid, but he didn't want to come to their aid. And so he would say this word, Corbin, and what that really was saying is that all of my resources are given to God, and therefore I can't help you. Everything that God has blessed me with, my finances, my time, all of my talents and treasures, I have already committed those things to God. And so therefore, because I've made a higher commitment, I get to not do the things that the Bible has said. And Jesus looks at the scribes and the Pharisees and he says, you're, you're teaching, you, you know the law. You know that God said, honor your father and your mother. And if you don't do this, you know that, that God says these kids are going to die the death. I like the way Jesus puts it. They're going to die the death. And Jesus says, but you, you've given all these people who have forsaken their parents a free pass because they say with their words, with their lips, that they've done something when in reality they're not actually living that out. And so it wasn't that these kids were all actually giving all of their resources to God, to the temple, to, to religious things. But it was that what Jesus had said earlier from Isaiah, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Jesus says these people are saying Corbin, and yet they're going off and still using their resources for their own good and not helping their parents. They're neglecting their parents and leaving them behind. And Jesus' accusation against the scribes and the Pharisees is that you're allowing this to happen knowing what's going on and you're saying nothing about it. And so Jesus gives this righteous response and he calls them out for their wickedness, that they honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. He calls them out for their unrighteousness and that they're allowing sinful things to take place and they're allowing kids to neglect helping their parents in their times of need because they've made a false oath. I understand Jesus was not for the idea of false oaths. In fact, I think Jesus would say, don't make an oath at all. Why? Because you're likely going to break that oath. He calls out the religious here and it says, look at the lives that you're living. Look at the lives that you're encouraging other people to live and understand that in this act of unrighteousness, you're proving that your heart is very far from God in this moment. 
people wouldn't like this. They, they wouldn't have liked what Jesus was saying, but what Jesus was saying was the truth. And look at verse number 13, which is a very, very sad verse. He says, you're making the word of God of none effect through your traditions, which ye have delivered, and many such things, like things, do ye. Have you ever thought about the word of God being of none effect in your life? That's what Jesus was saying was happening here. And why was it happening? Because again, they were holding the traditions of men of high, at a higher value than they were the word of God. As, as time goes on, um, I, I at times like less and less of what I see in Christianity. You say, well, that doesn't sound very good because we're a bunch of Christians and we're practicing Christianity. Well, what do I mean by that? As time goes on, I see more and more Christians and more and more churches making doctrines out of things that are preferences. That they're holding to a higher standard the things that they want to see done rather than the things that God wants to see done. I talked with another pastor yesterday who's, who's leaving his church um, because there, there, there's a disagreement on some philosophical things. What are these philosophical things? Well, it boils down to what version of the Bible they're using and what songs they're singing in their church. That grieves the heart of God. That people can't work together for the sake of the gospel because we have elevated the traditions of men over the word of God. That, that we elevate our ideas and what has been passed down to us from generation to generation over what God says. That, that we elevate things like dress. That if somebody doesn't dress like me, then I look down my nose at them and say they must not be a very good Christian. Or they use a different version of the Bible. Or they listen to a type of music that makes me uncomfortable. Friend, all of those things are preferential. And when we divide over those things, do you understand what we're doing? We're doing a disservice to the kingdom of God as a whole. Because all the world around us sees is a group of people that can't even get along, and yet they say they have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. As Jesus looked at this religious crowd, he said, you honor God with your lips, but your heart is far from him. You make it look good on the outside, but the inside is full of filth. You're doing all the right things in the eyes of men. But when God looks at you, he sees the reality. And so church, let us not ever be a church or individual Christians who get so hung up on a preference that we ostracize and, and cast out people who are a little bit different than us. The old jokes of, of the Baptists when they get to heaven you know, they're, they're going to be walking down the hallway and there's, there's, they hear all this noise and all this excitement going on all around them. And this, they're, they're like, what is going on here? And they finally get to the end of the hallway and they open up a room and it's just a bunch of people standing around, you know, twiddling their thumbs together. And, and they said, what's all that noise? What, what's, all, what's all that's going on all around us? And, and who are these people? They said, well, these are the Baptists who think they're the only ones here and everybody else is worshiping together, Right. Baptists are known for holding on to their traditions more than they are for holding on to Christ. And friends, let that never be said of Northside. Let it never be said that, that we're more concerned with carrying on with 
traditions that have been passed down to us than we are in holding on to Christ and Christ alone. For if that's the case, I believe God would look at us and say, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You make it look good. You fooled everybody around you, but I see the truth. And so we see the railing accusation. We see the, the res- a righteous response. And then finally this morning, we see a radical teaching. Jesus says in verses 14 through 23, and we won't read them for time's sake, that there's a better way to do life. In verse 14, it says, And he had called all the people unto him. He said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. Catch this. Typically, the crowds were making their way to Jesus. And this time, Jesus is saying, Hey, everybody, come a little bit closer. And why was he doing this? Why was he calling the crowds together? Because they had been listening to the teaching and the doctrine of the scribes and the Pharisees for years and years and years. And there was confusion, deep-seated confusion in their hearts because they didn't know what was right and they didn't know what was wrong. They were listening to these commandments that had been elevated to doctrine. And Jesus was coming now to correct these things. Jesus was going to let them know that you're not saved through ceremonial cleansing that you can do yourself, but you're saved through the precious blood of Christ. It's not about your tradition, but it's about what Jesus did for them as he went to the cross to die in their place. And Jesus teaches a very radical teaching here that would have infuriated the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse number 15, he says, there is nothing from without a man, the entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile a man. The disciples are probably sitting there and their minds are going all over the place, right? What is Jesus saying? It's not what goes in, but it's what comes out. What, what, is, what is this? And I think the natural mind, because they have been talking about eating with unwashed hands, their natural mind would have gone somewhere to this idea of the digestive process, right? That they're thinking we can eat whatever we want and we're not defiled, but it's what comes out of us that defiles us. Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus goes on to break it down for them a little bit more. And in, in the King James, verse 16 is there. It says, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus left the crowd at that point. And the disciples and Jesus enter into a house and they begin to ask him, Jesus, what are you talking about? We don't understand. And Jesus responds in verse 18 and says, are ye so without understanding also? A subtle rebuke of how have you guys not figured it out yet? How have I been with you and taught you and ministered to you and with you and yet you still lack understanding? Understanding, Jesus says, do you not understand that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him because it enters not into his heart but into his belly and goeth out into the draught, purging all meat. But then Jesus says, that which cometh out of a man, that defiles him. Why is that so? Because what comes out of a man is is in reality what is already inside a man. So Jesus says, guys, don't worry. You're not defiled because you ate in the wrong way or because you ate the wrong thing. Later on in Acts, Peter's struggling with this very same thing and God sends that vision from heaven. And what is, what is God telling Peter, in essence, uh, with a picture of food? He says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. 
Peter struggled with this down the road. And later on, Paul calls him out for it and says, Peter, you're living a double lifestyle. You hold to one thing when you're around these people. You hold to another thing when you're around these people. Peter, get your act together. Peter would go on to to serve both Jews and Gentiles as God really transforms his heart. And as Jesus is, is speaking here to these people, he's letting them know that it's not the things that come into you that defile, but it's the things that come out of you that defile. And aren't you glad that Jesus gives a little bit of clarification on what he's saying here? Because from a physical standpoint, it still doesn't make sense. What Jesus is saying is, it seems a little bit disconnected from what we understand as reality. And so in verse number 20, Jesus labors to help them understand. He says, that which cometh out of a man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. You want to know why you're undefiled today? Or you were undefiled before Christ entered into your heart? It's because Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It's because we were born in sin, with a sin nature that desires evil and unrighteous things. And Jesus says we're not defiled by what we take in as far as food goes, but we're defiled by what comes out of us. So many people want to blame the, the, the place that they are in life uh, as, as, as the product that comes out of their life. But do you know what Jesus says? It's not your place in life, it's your heart's position that defiles what, or, or that, 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 that um, produces what comes out of you. When you have a heart that is sinful and unwashed and unclean, then you're going to produce ungodly things and you're going to desire ungodly things. So it's not what you put in that defiles you, but it's what comes out of you. Understand today, church, that every sin we commit flows from a heart that is deceived in a moment. And you know what the part of the deceptiveness of sin is? Is that I can have what I want and I can keep my life the way that it is. But you understand eventually... That will prove to not be a reality. Because what comes out of you is going to change your life. That pastor that I shared about a few moments ago, he lived who knows how long with thinking that he could have what he wanted and keep his life the way that it was. A sad reality is when a friend went and talked to him, his response was not a repentant, tearful response. He said, I could go out and start another church and have 200 people there tomorrow. And what does that show? That he honored God with his lips, but his heart was far from him. You know what Jesus says that true believers are to do when their hearts are not in the place that they're supposed to be? He doesn't say, oh, you should go to church and and sit in the front row and hold your Bible. We used to joke in Bible college that you knew somebody was was spiritual by how high they held their Bible in their armpit, right? If they held it up high, that was a good Christian right there. If they just carried it down low, you know, they're, they're really struggling with sin or something is going on in their life. Jesus doesn't say go to church and, and, and make a good show of things. Jesus says before you leave your gift at the altar, go and get it right with your brother. 
Jesus said, I would rather you make amends with those that have ought with you or have a problem with you than I would have you come into church and raise your hand and act like everything is okay. And the unfortunate reality in much of Christianity, probably the unfortunate reality even in our lives at times, is that we honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. See, as we started today, I said, let us not think of ourselves as Jesus in the scenario. And maybe let's not even think about how we could fit ourselves into being the disciples. But I think as we approach scriptures like this, the best thing that we can do is to examine our hearts and see if in any way we are acting like the religious crowd. That we look at those around us and say, man, they are certainly not where I am at in my Christian life. That we look at those who do things a little differently than we do and we say, man, they better get their act together if they ever want to get on my level. Friend, understand today that if that is our attitude towards sanctification, towards Christian growth, or towards our walk with the Lord, we are proving that with our lips we honor Him, but our hearts are far from Him. Christians in America, we love the idea of clean hands. Why? Because it's what everybody can see. If I came in here this morning, maybe it wouldn't be as much of a shock anymore, but in shorts and a t-shirt, I guarantee there would be people in this church who would say, what is he doing? What is he doing? I guarantee if you rode in my car, and listen to some of the Christian music that I listen to at times, you would say, how is he even a pastor? How is he a pastor? But you know what the opposite is true as well? That there have been times in my life where I have seen people do things that I am uncomfortable with, and I'm very quick to say, how can they call themselves a Christian when they're not living like I'm living? Friend, we've, we've missed the point. It's not about you modeling your life after me and me modeling my life after you. It's about us modeling our lives after Christ. And we're going to look a little different. You read through the New Testament and you'll quickly understand that Peter and Paul were two very different personalities. You look at Barnabas and Timothy, again, two very different personalities that did things in a very different way at times. But guess what? God used them for the sake of the kingdom so that others could hear the truth of the gospel, not because they lived in sinfulness, but because they allowed God to use them and their personality to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we never be the Christians who are more worried about the clean hands than we are about the clean heart. May we never look down on those who do things a little bit different than us and think if they could just get on our level, then they'd understand what true joy is. But let us continually bow at the feet of Jesus and thank him that we are not what we once were, and though we're not who we used to be, we're better off than we were 10 years ago. Amen? And that's because of the change that he has made in us. So we don't hold traditions of men. We don't do things the way that they did church 200 years ago. We've got padded chairs and air conditioning and lights 
And we use a sound system. And we baptize inside with warm water. And those three that were baptized today say amen, right? Because warm water is a lot better than cold water. We don't follow the traditions of men. We don't cling to the traditions of men as our way of being at peace with God, but we look to Christ and Christ alone. As Christ looked at these Pharisees, he said, you honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Because it's not about what goes into a man. It's about what comes out of a man. And part of what Jesus said that defiles a man in, in what comes out of him is a simple thing of evil, evil thoughts and pride. And do you know that those are the two roots for the sin that we do physically with our hands and with our lips? Evil thoughts and pride. And so may today we repent of those things. May we not worry so much about the clean hands, but may we worry about the clean heart. And when the heart is clean, guess what is going to happen? The hands are going to be clean as well. When God gets a hold of our hearts, he is going to change the way that we live our lives. And so I would ask us today, where is your focus? Clean hands or clean hearts? When you look at others, are you more concerned about what's going on on the inside? Or are you more concerned about what's going on on the outside? Scribes and Pharisees couldn't handle it. They're eating with unwashed hands. What would the modern version of that be? They're listening to music that makes me uncomfortable. They're wearing clothes that I don't think they should wear. They're carrying a Bible that doesn't have the initials that I think it should have. I was listening to a message this week, and the pastor said, we just need more people that will take a stand for Jesus in the King James Bible. He should have stopped after Jesus. Because it's not the King James Bible that saves. It's Christ and Christ alone. And there are so many people that would fill in that second slot with so many other things. But church, let's agree today that we just need more people who are going to take a stand for Jesus. Let the chips fall where they may. Let's take a stand for Jesus. Let's let him change our hearts. And then let's live for his honor and his glory. Let's not be a people who honors God with our lips. All our hearts are far from.